Good morning. You have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. We're starting a new series today on Merited. I'll get in that in just a minute. I just wanted you to know we've closed on the Grace Home, so now we have a home that Clover Hill can partner with the Grace Home Ministries to provide care for some pregnant teenagers. If you want to be involved, there's still some work to do. They're looking for mentors. They're looking for even some house parents because the way that it works. Go to gracehomeministries.org. On the webpage, there's a banner, volunteers needed. You can sign up there, send them maybe, even if it's not on there, what you might be able to do, what you feel like your heart wants you to do, and you can do that. Also, just a reminder, we're in our 21-day fast. We're seven days in. If you're visiting today, the first part of every year, Clover Hill uh, just commits to going after God, just kind of intensify it. So we add fasting to, to increase our prayer time. We have uh, service every Wednesday night, the next two weeks. We're just going after God. There's resources on the webpage. You can find every. There's a sermon on fasting. Not too late to jump in. And uh, let, the Bible says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're just going to diligently seek him. On my way from first service to second service, and I've got a, I don't know if you know, we have another campus in Mosley, and uh, it's over in the 23832 area code Cosby High School, and it starts at 10, and, and it's, a, it's a real hurry. I've got to get out of here and get there. And on my way down the stairs, somebody stopped me and said, man, I just need a few minutes of your time. I've got to get, and I said, I've got to go, I've got to go. And he, so he gave me a lottery ticket. And he said, I never play the lottery. Ne- That's what he said. Never play the lottery ticket. Never play but I played, and I won. And what's the lottery right now? I was thinking, what? Like one point, wasn't there like billion or something? I mean, it's like trillion. If you know, you know way too much about the lottery. But, but I, he said, I won $2,000, and you just got, I don't even know where to take it, but you got to take it. And I, I, he was crying. He said, I, I, I bought it. I was going to, it was laying on my desk, and I was getting up to go to church today, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to give it to, to the church. And so here it is. And, and so I, I took it, and uh, we'll take the devil's money. We'll take whoever's money, and, and, we'll, and we'll give it to missions. That's why I promised him we'll give it to missions. And here's the moral of the story. Don't play the lottery. But if you do, remember your church. Will you do that? that that's it. Especially if you win that 1.9. So today we're in a series called Unmerited. And I think it might be the most important topic that we talk about. And uh, it could be, I, I really encourage you to be, they'll build on one another the next three weeks. Wednesday nights, we'll tap into this too. And let's just get started. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Paul's writing. I'll give you some background as I read along. I am astonished. I'm surprised. I can't believe, guys, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. That's the key theme, grace. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So Paul was a church planner. was an apostle. That's what he did. He'd go in cities, regions. He went to this region of Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey. And he planted churches. And so he'd go to an area, raise up a core group of people, start a church, reach out, build leaders, disciple people. Then he would appoint a pastor and he would go to the next place. So in Galatia, he had all these different churches. And somebody, you'll, let me read it to you. Somebody had come in and, and given them some bad news. Evidently, some people are drawing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, what were they doing? How were they perverting it? They were called Judaizers. They were Jewish people that had come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
But they were going to these Gentile churches in Galatia, in modern-day Turkey, and they were trying to tell them, well, Paul's not a real apostle, and he doesn't really know what he's talking about, and, and he just preaches this salvation by faith. That's his message. Salvation is a gift of grace, and it's received through faith. It's a gift of grace received by faith. That's all that Christ and Christ crucified. And they go, we, we believe that. We know what he teaches, but that's not enough. You've got to add something to that. You've got to follow our dietary laws. You've got to follow our Jewish customs. In fact, you have to be, if you're going to be a follower of God, you have to be circumcised. That was the big issue, the big thing. Now, if a Jew, you're circ- that's not a big deal. You're eight days old when you're circumcised. You don't even remember it. You ask a 40-year-old man, 46-year-old man to be circumcised and everything, that's a whole other story. If you don't know what circumcised is, don't Google it now, but later, ask, ask somebody beside you. what It, it is not pleasant. I mean, hey, we're going to have membership class tonight, and you come to, to a growth track, and on your way in, man, we got a room out back where we'll take care of the circumcision, and, and then you can be and be part of us. That's what they, I mean, it, the grit, they were beside them, what? Paul, you didn't tell us this. You said it was just faith and faith alone, that it was a, as a gift of grace. What are these guys saying? And these guys had interrupted, and they began perverting, and, and these Galatians were buying into it. Well, well, yeah, it does seem too easy, and there's probably got to be more than just Jesus, and, and maybe if I do these things, I'll feel more holy or appear more holy. And so they were buying into it, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's a different gospel. That's a perverted gospel. I can't believe you're even thinking like that. And you know, it happens. If you, if it happens with unbelievers. They don't understand the grace of God, so they're not able to receive God's love. But it also happens to believers. Often we receive God's grace at first. Oh man, this is the greatest thing. He's so good to me. I'm so glad he loves me. But as we go along, we slip back into a works-based gospel. We slip back into, well, I need to do more. I got to give more. I got to serve more. I got to do all this stuff. And Paul said, no, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not the true gospel. Let me, let me illustrate. Let me say it this way. The Mormon church grows 300,000 converts a year. 75% of them say that they've come from Christian churches. The Mormon, the Mormon church, they are some of the finest, best people you'll ever meet. I play basketball with a Mormon guy, the nicest, kindest uh, he'd give you the shirt off. Great family, hard worker, great moral. I mean, that, that's not even a question. We played soccer. My kids played soccer with a Mormon kid, and, and we became fr- befriended them. They befriended us, went over to their house. I mean, you talk, they had the neatest family. Just love. It was genuine. It was sincere, upright, obedient, respectful. I mean, you want your kids. I, I wanted my kids hanging out with that kid. Just good good family but but the question is not well are they good people are they moral the question that paul is trying to say do they pervert the gospel is it jesus and jesus alone is it a gift of grace through faith or do you have to add something to it and here's the mormons believe that salvation is achieved paul grace says christianity or jesus is received to become a Mormon, you've got to join the Mormon church. Look, I'm all about church membership. I think it connects you. I, I think there's, there's they that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. We do it. But you just need to know this. Joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. Working at Chick-fil-A doesn't make you a chicken sandwich. You, you, can, be, you can be a member of every church in Chesterfield and not know Jesus Christ. They, here, here's what they teach. It's a, it's a salvation that you have to 
earn or you have to achieve. They say you have to believe in Jesus, yes, but, but it's not in a divine Jesus. He wasn't born of a virgin. So it makes his death on the cross less sufficient. But not only do you have to believe in Jesus, you have to believe in the prophet he appointed and the successor he chose. So I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also believe in Joseph Smith, and, and I also believe in the, in, uh, the other guy, Brigham Young, that, 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 that that's what it is. And then you have to adhere and adhere to all their rules and their regulations. It's, it's a different gospel. Good people, sure. Moral people, absolutely. Is it a different gospel? According to what Paul says, it, it's perverts. It's, it's not the gospel of grace. It's a salvation that's achieved. And God says, it's all about you receiving. Here's what he says, Galatians 1, 8, 9. But even if we are an angel from heaven should come. Paul said, I don't care his accolades. I don't care how smart he appears. I don't care what title he holds. If he preaches another gospel... What is the gospel? That Jesus was before everything. That in the timing of God, he left heaven and he came to earth. He was born of a virgin. The gospel is he lived a sinless life. Therefore, he was able to make payment and restitution for our sin. And in his death, the Bible says that, that in him, we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That he raised on the third day and he's sitting at the right hand of God. That, that, that's the gospel. And the gospel says, I believe that. And it's manifested in a trust by giving him your life, by surrendering to your life. It's not achieved, it's received. And he, Paul is saying, if they're preaching another gospel, you got to give this much, you got to do this much, your hair's got to be this short, your dress got to be this long, you're this, you're that, you're whatever. It's another gospel. And let them be eternally condemned. As we have already said, he's emphatic about this salvation by grace, so he repeats it. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So, so what is grace? That's what we're going to dive into the next several weeks. Uh, I, I, I want you to hear it maybe with fresh ears, with fresh eyes. Here's grace defined. This is how I would define it. It's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Would you write that down in your outline? Fill in the blanks. It'll help you follow along. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Let me give you a few foundational scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. John 3, 16 is probably the most famous book of the chapter, verse of the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 might be the theme of Paul's writing. I believe it is. For by grace... For by grace, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved uh, kindness of God, you are saved through faith, I believe, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be any boasting. If there's any boasting, it's going to be, look what Christ has done. If there's any idea that I earned this or I deserve this, it, it, that idea is going to be gone. Again, it is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Here's another verse, Romans 3, 24. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. E.V. Hill tells us stories. He's a, he's a real uh, popular, well-known African-American pastor. He grew up a poor, grew up in a single-parent home, 
but he got a calling on his life at a very young age. This is how he tells the story. And uh, he went to his mom and said, Mom, I feel like God's called me to preach. I want to pastor a church. I want to share the gospel. I-, I need to go to Bible school. And she said, God will provide. Uh, several years later, hey, Mom, I just want you to remind you, God is calling me to Bible school. I want to preach. I want to share the gospel. I need to go to Bible school. God will provide. When he gets up to the age to go to college, he realizes there's no way that his mama can provide for college. It, just uh, financially, it's outside of the picture. It's outside of the realm of what they can do. And so he goes to his mom and says, Mom, I still want to be a preacher, but I'm not going to Bible school. And she looks at him and says, "You, God will provide. God will provide. On the day he was to go to sign up for classes, she sent him. No money in his pocket, no checkbook, no credit card, no form filled out for government aid. Sent him to the, to the school that, that he was going to go to. And so she told him to sign up for classes, get your books, get in line, and God will provide. So he's fifth in line. He's got his book. He's got his schedule. He's got his ledger. You, any of you sent kids to school yet? I mean, you got tuition and you got uh, room and board, and you got this fee, and parking fee, and, and, and this fee, and that fee, and this fee, and that fee, and, and then you got a fee over here, and you got all these fees, and he's looking at these fees, and he's holding these books, and he's going, I don't have any money, this is crazy, but mom told God, will. he gets to the fourth person in line, third person in line, he's like, if, if, if something doesn't happen, I don't have any money, I don't, I'm just going to be embarrassing, there's a line behind him, the second person in line, he just about turns and runs, drops his book, puts him away, goes home, and somebody, just as about as he turns, somebody, some man grabbed him by the arm and put some cash in his hand. This is all he said. God will provide. He gives next person in line, puts the money on the table, shows the ledger. It's the exact amount of money that he needs for that class. Then the register takes a great big old stamp. It says, paid in full, and she gets that ledger, that bill, and she stamps it, paid in full. That's what Jesus did for us. God provided, Jesus paid in full. That's grace. That, that, that's, that's what God has done. God has taken away our sins. Here, Romans eleven six. And if they are saved by God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. It can't be works and grace. This is what Paul is saying. It either has to be grace or works. It's not both and, it's either or. If it's works, it's not grace. And if it's grace, it's not works. You following that? But they're deluded and they're saying, hey, you need a little bit of both. And, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. It's not by your good works. If it, was, if it was for your good works, in that case, God's wonderful kindness would not be what it really is. What is it? It's free and undeserved. Some of you are familiar with the story of of uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Uh, Rick, the son, was born with the umbilical cord around his neck. And so he was born with so many challenges, difficulties, not able to walk, pretty much a quad- quadriplegic, uh, bound to a wheelchair all his life. Could, could communicate barely, but when he's 15 years old, the family tries to, to interact with him as best they can. 15 years old, he tells his dad, however he communicates, Dad, there's a, there's a fundraiser for, for guys like me, and I want us to run in the 5K. And so his dad's not a runner, but he trains. And so he gets him a fancy wheelchair, and, they, and he pushes it to 3.1 miles. And after the race, Rick tells his father, that's the only time in my life I haven't felt handicapped. And so Dick says, well, I, we're going to take care of that. We're going to do more of that. And so since that time, 
They have run in 72 marathons, 255 triathlons. That's 2.4 miles swimming, 112 miles biking, and 26.2 miles running. When Dick swims, he pulls Rick in a basket. When he cycles, he puts Rick in a seat in a basket in front of the bike. When he runs, he pushes his wheelchair. What is grace? I'm, I'm like that young man in the chair. Everything I've done is because of the Father pushing or pulling or car- carrying me. That's grace. All God is asking us to do is get in the chair. And that's the problem. That's where we disconnect. That's our struggle. We, we, the notion of God loving us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of our human nature. That's why religions come up with all, all these ideas of works. The Buddhists have their eightfold path, and the Hindu have their doctrine of karma, and the Jew people have their covenant, and the Muslims have five pillars of faith. Each of these are trying to earn God's approval. This grace is too easy. It can't be. It's too good to be true. C.S. Lewis said the main contradiction between all other major religions and Christianity is grace. Because we don't want to get in a seat. We want to be our own savior. We want to try to pay our own debt. We grow up in a culture and a society that says if you eat your dinner, you get your dessert. If you get good grades, you go to college. If you excel in practice, you get to start. We have all these, all these, all these Rewards, and we think we carry it on to, to Christianity, and I got to do this and be this and become this and act like this, and then I can earn the presence, I can earn the, the favor of God. That's not grace. It's either earned or it's received. It's either a gift and free or it's not. So, so. What do we have to do? Here, here's our struggle. When we understand grace, it changes our focus. Will you write that down? Stay with me, will you? It changes our focus. I, many of you know my story. I grew up in the church. Great parents loved God. Taken to church. Good Bible churches. I mean, I, I just had a privileged childhood. I'm so blessed, so honored, so gracious to the Lord. But here's my idea. Till I'm 17 years old, here's my idea of Christianity. For whatever reason, I don't think I was taught it. This is just, in my mind, what I thought. I believe in God. I have a head knowledge of God. I'm not an atheist. And I'm a pretty good guy. And, and here's the problem with that. The Bible says even the demons in hell believe in God. And they're not believers, but I didn't get that. Believe in God, and I'm a pretty good guy. And so I even made a list, couple of lists, of, in my mind, of what good people didn't do. And so good people, in, in my, good people, they didn't drink, so I didn't drink. I'm a good person. I didn't, good people didn't smoke, so I didn't smoke. I chewed a few times, but that wasn't on my list, so I'm okay. That's all right. I didn't, I didn't, I, good people don't steal, so I don't steal. I don't date good people. They surely don't date their friend's girlfriend, so I never did that. I'm a good guy. And then I made a list of what good people do do. I went to, ch- <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wipe that from the tape. I went to church. I participated in a small group. I, I worked hard. I paid my tithes. I went on mission trip. I showed respect to authority. That was basically my worldview. I believe in God. I make my own rules. I live up to them. Therefore, I'm good, and therefore, I'm saved. And there was a group of guys that wanted me to break one of my rules. 
And I'm hanging out with them one night, and they offer me a beer. And they say, here, Stan, have a beer. No, I don't drink. Why don't you drink? Because I'm trying to be good. Why are you trying to be good? Because I want to go to heaven. And I get in this, this doctrinal, I don't think it was an argument, this doctrinal discussion with a 17-year-old teenager that's, bu- I mean, he's buzzing. I, he, he's half lit. And I, I'm in. Well, how good do you have to be? You know, how good do you have to be? He's kind of mumbling around. I'm like, well, pretty good. I, you know, I'm a good. I can't drink right now. And well, well, hey, do this. Don't drink on Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, have a little bit. On Saturday, party pretty good. And then on Sunday, go to church. And so five out of seven days, you're pretty good. And you're being good. And the majority of the time, well, I'll weigh you being bad some of the time. And I got to thinking. (laughs) A conversation with a drunk teenager started muddying up my theology. Up until that point, I thought I was a pretty good guy, or at least I was better than he was. And I thought, how good do I have to be? How moral does it, does it determine if I'm righteous or not? Do my good days cancel my bad days? Does my obedience cancel my disobedience? Maybe I'm not good enough. That's the essence of what Paul is talking about. We're not good enough. How good, how good do you have to be a good enough for God? Do you know when you're good enough? And, and, and so it changes our focus from not what I do, but to what Jesus has done. Not how good I am, but how gracious God is. Now stay with me. Don't lose me. Here's the next point. From earning God's approval, our focus changes to receiving God's love. The church I grew up in, again, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of religion. I mean, it was just, it was just born in it. You got to do this. You can't do that. You boys can't have long hair. Girls can't have short hair. You got to wear this. This determines your... And I have finally had to come to a place where I, I cannot earn God's approval. I just got to receive his love. I've told this story before, but let me share it with you. One of my favorite speakers pastors is Dr. Mark Rutland. He pastored a church in Orlando, Florida, and it was several years ago, but he gets a call from one of his people and says, they say, hey, pastor, my son is in the hospital and he's dying. Will you go visit him? And so he says, sure, I'll go. And so he walks into the hospital room and he finds this 20-something-year-old man that, that had really wasted down to about 80 pounds. He was wearing a, a pink negligee and he had a teddy bear in the bed with him. And so Dr. Rutland goes over to him and just said, hey, I'm Pastor Rutland. Your mom asked me to come, and I pastor the church up the road. And, and I just want you to know, man, God loves you. God cares about you. God's very, very, very interested in you. And the boy kind of raises up and, and almost gets kind of angry, like, well, what do you mean God loves me? God doesn't love me. Pat, do you know what I've done? If I took God, there is no way God could love me. And over the next 20 minutes, Dr. Rutland begins to kind of share what I'm talking about, kind of the grace of God, and he leads him to the Lord. The guy says, invites Christ into his life right there in that hospital room. And after he's done, he, he calls the, the orderly and says, hey, get me another gown. He changes nightgowns, and, and uh, Dr. Rutland's about to leave, and, and the boy stops him at the door and says, Dr. Rutland, it doesn't look like I'm going to live very long. The boy was dying. It doesn't look like I'm going to live very long. And at my funeral, funeral, will you preach grace? Be hundreds of guys that preach grace. 
Dr. Rutland assured him he did. He left. Got a call the next day. That boy had died. You don't have enough confidence in the grace of God that when he breathed his last breath, he was ushered into God's presence. Why? Because it's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved. You trust Jesus, that's enough. It's, you don't have to earn God's approval. You just receive God's love. Here's the last. What, what does it change? From external duty to internal desire. Pastor, don't, this is what I hear. I'll get emails. Don't preach about grace because people are going to take advantage of it. And people are going to use it as a license to sin. And they're just going to, well, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So I'm just going to keep sinning and grace, God's grace is going to keep forgiving me. They've misunderstood grace. They don't get it. I'm going to teach on this in a few weeks. Let me, let me just give you a, a, a heads up or a, or a start. It's, it's the book of Titus, verse 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passion. And to live self-controlled and godly lives and to long for his appearance. You know what grace does? It te- now it's not, when you experience the grace of God, it's not an external command. It's not I have to, it's I want to. It becomes an eternal thing. I don't want to live ungodly. I don't want to pursue my passions. I want to live for God. I want to serve God. If, because he loved me, I want to love him back. It goes from external to internal. And that will change your life forever when you get past this this idea of religion and approving and got to do enough and be enough and where it becomes something on the inside that the holy spirit we think well i got to get cleaned up before i come to god no you come to god and he'll clean you up well i got to be better before i come to god no you come to God in this internal, that he'll get a new GPS. You'll get a new direction. You'll get a new heart, a new desire, a new life, and your desires will change. And the grace of God will teach you to live holy, will teach you to live righteous. Not because I get up here and say, hey, you can't do this, and you got to do that, and you better be here, and you better not go there. That doesn't do anything but make you want to do it. But the grace of God, from the inside out, now there's this, this passion and desire for God. See, grace, why is it such a struggle? Because we've got to change our focus. It's not about us. It's about him from beginning to end. It also changes our sense of fairness. It's not fair. Let me illustrate. Trevor, here, I'm going to invite Trevor back to the keyboard. Please don't put up your notes. Will you do that? If you put up your notes, I'm going to send him back in that room. Because <laughs> I'm not done, but I, I, I want a little music. I think it'll help. <laughs> so you got your notes. You're following along. There's a parable, I think it's in Matthew 25, it's in Matthew 20, where it's trying to describe what Jesus is trying to describe what the kingdom of God is like to his disciples. Get that, that's a, you got to remember this. What is the kingdom of God like? Let me tell you this story. There was this man who owned a vineyard, doing really good, it was late in the harvest season. If he didn't, if he didn't harvest his crop, he's going to lose it. So he's got his original workers, but he needs more. And so early in the morning, 6 in the morning, he goes to this, this hangout where these unemployed guys are hanging out. And he says, hey, I need five guys, just five. You come and work. I'll give you 100 bucks. I mean, I'll give, you, I'll give you a wage. Come and work with me through the day. Help me in my vineyard. Five guys sign up. They get on the truck. They go to the vineyard. That's 6 a.m. 9 o'clock, he's saying, man, I'm not going to get this done. I got to have more guys. Goes back. 
gets five more guys, gets them in the truck, hey, I'll pay you, comes back, he works him. Noon, same thing. Not, not enough guys. I got to get more guys. It's not going to happen. Goes, gets five more guys. Three in the afternoon, five more guys. Six in the afternoon. Daylight savings time, gets dark, 8.30, 9 o'clock. I got to get five more guys. Goes and gets them, brings them back. I mean, they work hard. They get it done. They get the harvest. They save the crop. He gets them in line. From the guy who had been there the earliest, the guy who came at 6 o'clock at night, to the guy that's been there the longest, 6 a.m. And he passes out the money. And so he gets his money and gives that first guy a crisp $100 bill. And I mean, it's a long line. These guys start talking, hey, he got 100 He's only been here two hours. I'm going to get a lot more than that. Man, we bought it. That was a good, I'm glad I got on that truck. This is going to be a good deal. He gets to 100 100 12 o'clock guys, 100 100 The guys that had been there 14 hours gives them a $100 bill. They're mad, and rightfully so, wouldn't you be? If you're, if you're thinking, that ain't right, it doesn't seem right. But he's trying to tell you what the kingdom of God is like. They said, hey, we've been here longer than anybody, and you, you only gave us 100 Well, isn't that what I promised you? Yeah, but, but you, it's, it's not you gave them more than you gave us, but I kept my word. You came and worked for 100 I, I gave you what you expected. I, I gave you what, you what I told you I would give you. Yeah, but it's not fair. Let me, let me flesh it out. You remember, Stephen, I'll, just, I'll be brief, but keep your notes up. Stephen, you study his, his life in the book of Acts. He probably knew, he come to, came to know God at an early age. He was a servant. In Acts chapter 6, we see him where they're trying to find deacons, and he's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's a, just a prayer warrior, a great guy. He gets stoned to death. Listen to Stephen. He gets stoned to death for not bowing down to a, to a false god, for not turning his back on a resurrected Savior, and he's stoned to death. And right before he dies, he looks to heaven and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what I'm thinking? That guy deserves heaven. That is a good dude. Contrast him with the life of Paul. Paul, for the first half of his life, was, was anti-God, anti-Christian. You know, there was a, not long ago, there was a shooting where a guy came into a, a room and said, are you a, are you a Christian? And if they said no, they shot him. And he's, man, that, who would do that? That's crazy. That's what Paul did. He just did it legally with the court's approval. Hey, are you a believer? If so, you're going to jail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that employer cut you off from work. Eventually, he was given the right to kill him until he gets saved about halfway through his life. From then on out, he starts living for God fully and completely. Travels 22,000 miles, preaching the gospel, writes a third of the New Testament, plants churches all over the known world. I'm looking at Paul, not as good as Stephen, but he's a pretty good dude. His second half of his life, he did enough good to cancel the first half of his life. Wouldn't you agree? But then there's another guy that we talk about. Not a hero, but we talk about him. He was the guy on the cross beside Jesus. And you, you got Jesus on the cross. He, he'd been beaten. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's been shamed and mocked. He's hanging on that tree as, as, as the sins of the world are being laid upon his back. The only way he can get a breath is when he drives his feet with those spikes and he raises up on that spike and takes a breath and then he has to come back down. 
And the people around the cross are mocking him. Hey, you're the son of God. Come down from there. If you are really who you claim to be, you can't. You don't have to stay on that cross. And there's this guy beside him, hanging on the cross, suffering the same penalty, dealing with the same punishment. This is what he says. Do, do, do you guys not fear God? Here, here. Do you not fear God? You're under the same sentence. We're punished justly. We're, we're, we're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's on the cross. Man, there's something different about this guy. I've, I've heard about him, but I've never seen a guy go through the pain and the mockery and the ridicule and stay on the... There's something that... God, I know I'm a sinner, but you're my son. I need you. And his last, one of his last breath, this guy was, Hey, God, Jesus, will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And I remember Jesus. He's, he's hurting. He's suffering. I don't have time to deal with that, man. I, I got the sins of the, my, my, the world. But, but this is I, faith, three favorite words. He responded to him. That might be four words. Responded to him. Looked at him. I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's not fair. I understand Stephen. He lived godly his whole life. I understand Paul, not real good, but really good at the end. But this guy, he doesn't deserve it. He's not earned it. He can't make restitution. He, that's just not fair. Grace is not fair. I'm telling you, the gospel is actually the fairest system available. Here, here's why. Because everyone is invited. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's why. Everybody gets in the same way. The way to God goes through one path. It goes through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3.22. We are made right in God's sight. Not by getting circumcised. Not by adhering to some law. Not by keeping uh, what the church is demanding we have to do. No, we are made right when we trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way. No matter who you are. Or what you've done. If you're Stephen, if you're Paul, if you're the criminal on the cross. Last thing, everybody can meet the requirements. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sin was our problem, Jesus was the answer. Sin was our issue, we couldn't do anything about it. Jesus was the solution. So whosoever believes or trusts in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, that's better than fair. That's grace. I said that's better than fair. That's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads with me, will you? Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We've heard some scripture. I've shared what I feel like you've asked me to share. And now I just pray that you'd implode it on the hearts of of people today. Whosoever.
Maybe you're here today, Pastor, okay, what do I do? How do I respond to this message? How do I respond to grace? If you're not a believer, maybe you've tried to trust in your works. Maybe you've tried Jesus plus something. Maybe you've, you've never trusted in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. What, what do I do? Here's what you do. You trust. You believe. You trust him that his payment on the cross paid for your sins. It is finished. When he died, your sins can be forgiven. Not only do you trust him with your sin, you trust him with your life. God, because you're able to forgive me, you're worth following. And I want you to be my Lord and my leader. There's people here today, maybe that never have, or have walked away from the grace of God. You need to return today. You need to receive the love of God, and I want to help you. I just want to pray with you. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you to the front, but I want to help you. You say, Pastor, I want to join those other 12, 15 people that have given their heart to the Lord already today. I want to experience the grace of God. I want my sins forgiven. I want to ask Him to lead. And I want to follow. Will you raise your hand real quickly? I just want to pray with you. Will you raise your hand real quickly? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? I just want to receive God's grace. I need His grace. Anybody in the balcony? Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thanks. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Everybody. Will everybody stand? Three or four people raised their hands. Christians, you're praying. I want to lead those in a prayer. And I just, you know, again, I don't want to embarrass you. You don't have to say it out loud, but I do want you to say it under your breath and your mind. I, I would pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize today I need you. My works aren't enough. My goodness is not good enough. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need Jesus to cleanse me. I receive your love, God. I accept Jesus as my Savior. And if he's able to forgive me, he's able to lead me. And so I surrender my heart to him, my life to him. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me and touch me. Help me to follow God and to honor Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at me, look at me, look at me. If you said that prayer, I'll say it every week. I'll say it again. I'll say it for the next. What? It's not the end. It's the beginning. It's a new journey with the Lord. It's a, it's a new walk with Christ. Your life is about to change. And we want to help you. Here's what the Bible says. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead and you will be saved. you got to confess. You need to tell somebody. You four or five that raise your hand, you got to tell somebody. On your way out, we have a table in the back. I just want you to go back to them. There'll be somebody standing there. I want you to tell hey, today I gave my heart to the Lord. We might take your name. We might get some information for no other reason so we can just follow up with you. And we want to put some resources in your hands, some helps in your hands to help you in your new journey. God's going to help you. We're so proud of you. You know what the Bible says? There's angels in heaven rejoicing when lost people come to know Jesus. Amen? Well, well, I'm a believer. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
how do I respond to that? How do I respond to the message of grace? I'll tell you how. Romans chapter 12. Offer yourself to, here it says, in light of God's mercy, in view of God's grace, because it's unmerited and undeserved and unearned, because God has been so gracious and so kind, and because he first loved me, I'm going to offer myself afresh and anew. That's how you respond. Will you do that with me? Will you lift your hands, believers? Now everybody should be a believer. Lord, I offer myself to you afresh and anew. Lord, may grace not be old. May, may grace not become what it, what, what it just saved me, but your grace keeps me saved. Your grace empowers me. Your grace changes me. And Lord, because of your grace, I offer myself to you afresh and anew. Lord, I, I lay myself on the altar of sacrifice. God, I'm yours. Forgive me and cleanse me. Help me. God, touch my mind. Give me the mind of Christ. Lord, touch my heart. Let, let me let out of it. I know flow the issues of life, so change it, God, and make it right. Lord, give me hands that honor you. Let my mouth speak your praises. Lord, let my feet go where only you want to go. I offer my total self to you today because of your mercies, because of your grace. Lord, over these next 14 days as we're in this fast, turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That, that, that internal GPS, Lord, may it become more and more active in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. And we'll thank you for it. And everyone said, amen. Amen.